This is CT Startup, your source for information on entrepreneurs, investors, and resources in the Connecticut startup ecosystem. From university campuses to industrial labs, from Stanford to Hartford, and from Danbury to Norwich, if it's happening out there in Connecticut, you'll find it in. Now it's time to enter into a world of innovation, a world of human struggles, heartbreak, and achievement. And most of all, a world of love. Welcome to CT Startup. Welcome to CT Startup. I'm one of your co-host, Eric Francis. And I am Chris DeMauro. And we are here with Brian Dunnikin of Hawthorne Watch Company. How you doing, Brian? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Good, good. So this is actually an interesting podcast because, uh, you know, Chris and I and, and, and Brian all come from the, the, the same small town in Connecticut, Durham, Connecticut. Um, and it's, and, <laughs> yeah, right. And it's actually one of the things that I actually love about entrepreneurship and startups and so forth is that, you know, you kind of end up meeting people from your past life that you don't think that you would run back into kind of a thing. And um, I would say all three of us kind of were in the same circles, but kind of also not in the same circles. So, uh, but anyways, but uh, Brian, so so how did you get to uh, Hawthorne Watches? And, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about you. Sure. Uh, so Hawthorne Watch Company was started out of a, uh, a literal dream. So I had a dream one night that I designed a watch with laser hands. And I woke up in the middle of the night, sketched it down, and then fell back asleep. And in the morning, I saw the sketch and was like, oh, this is never going to work, but, you know, I'm a designer. Let me just try and play around with some faces, you know, just for fun. Um, faces? You mean watches? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this guy's out over there yeah. doing surgery in his basement. Like, you'll be the perfect watch. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I started doing that, but I think what really uh, incepted the idea of watches in general was that my grandfather was a watchmaker, and so I grew up around watches. Uh, and I'd seen him work on watches, so I'd always had this, you know, love in the back of my head. And I think it, it just sort of appeared in that dream one night, and that's where it all got started. Nice, nice. So, so your grandfather uh, was a watchmaker. So, yes. I mean, that, that's, first off, like, watches are, like, coming back, right? It's, like, yeah. the new thing. Like, I, I mean, it's, like, uh, people with uh, with shoes and kicks and everything like that and, like, all these kind of niche things. And, I mean, I'm not a watch guy. I have no jewelry. I never wear jewelry. I mean, I, I bought one watch in my life, and it was a fossil watch, like, gross, you know? And pro probably, <laughs> probably a lot of people be like, fossil watches, you know? But um, so watches are like this new thing. And so like, like bring us back to like your grandfather. I mean, did, was that his entire life? Like was that no. what his thing was or? So it, it wasn't his entire life. So he served in World War II. And then when he came out of the war, uh, he used the GI Bill to study watchmaking. And he ended up in the Waltham Watch Company in Waltham, Massachusetts, uh, which is a, a relatively famous company for the pocket watches and, and things like that. Uh, and then he was a, a watchmaker for a while. And then he ended up being a uh, working for the post office in the later part of his life, but he still worked on watches in his basement as sort of like a, a side hustle or like yeah. a side hobby. Yeah, like yeah, nice, nice. So, so did he like when you were growing up? Was that something that you you saw him do, and you're like, oh, that's cool, or was it again one of those things where, as sometimes younger you know, kids do, they're like, oh, that's what my old grandfather, like he's doing that weird thing again, <laughs> kind of a thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it was one of those just like obscure, just life things where you know you i saw him do it and it wasn't just like oh my god i need to do this but it was just i don't know there's just something in my head that, that clicked at a young age where i was like okay this is i like watches um so yeah i, I just sort of went from there well you know what what i find interesting is like you were saying you know, watches are coming back in vogue they're cool again um and it just kind of is this it, it you're a different kind of startup than a lot of the startups. We talk to a lot of startups are very techie, future. Folk. This is almost like a step back in time a little bit, but oh, not was a that bad a pawn? Way. Was that a pawn? Come on. Geez. 
I didn't even notice it. I'm back. We need, we need like a pun sound effect. <laughs> I was trying. I was trying to think I of a good one. I was like, oh, I'm not even gonna try to. I'm gonna butcher it. I'm, I, I I do so many puns. I don't even notice them anymore. It's bad, <laughs> man. But um, no, no. It's it's just interesting how a lot of these things, you know, are coming back into being cool, and you just seem to be in the right place at the right time with the with the right design too. You know, credit where credits do. Yeah, I think there's a return to durable goods. I think yes. there was a really long period of people just buying the cheapest thing they could buy and it would break and they have to rebuy it over and over and over again. And I think our generation and I think just overall, people are starting to appreciate things that are well-made and things that are going to last a long time. It's like, why are you going to just rebuy things if you can get one thing and keep it for a while? Yeah. So did was there, so I mean, you, you had the dream, right? So I, I'm not going to get into the 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 kind of the uh, Freudian thing of like your life's going down. You, you need it, you know, <laughs> you have lasers and all this kind of thing, and you want to change careers. But I mean, did you once you you know started sketching stuff around? I mean, did you reach back into your you know your grandfather's archives and be like, what did he do? I mean, how did you get back into it? I mean, I know if I had a dream about a watch, I could be like, okay, how do I go even about this? Yeah, it was a really slow process from from the dream to when we actually. Uh, had released a watch. It took about 16 months. Uh, and the first part was just me sketching and playing around because I didn't actually think this was going to be a business. Mm -hmm. It was just a fun idea. Uh, and then the further I got along, the more I realized like, hey, we can actually do something with this. So uh, I, I, I think it's a good time to mention that I have a business partner. His name is Jeremy Crossgrove. Uh, and he's based up in Boston, but he's a Connecticut native. And he was uh, a friend of mine in college and I remember sitting next to him in our design classes and just sort of uh, goofing off and making fun designs. And, uh, you know, there's a really good picture that uh, I'll share with you guys later where, you know, we had superimposed uh, pictures of each of us punching across computer screens, but it's like a really far distance. Our arms look really long. <laughs> so, you know, we've been doing fun things uh, for a while. And he uh, was the only person I knew that was doing... 3D design and, and could do CAD modeling and things like this. So I reached out to him and said, hey, I, I want to try and design a watch. Like, do you want to come on board? And he was all about it because he was going through this watch renaissance or initial love of watches. So, so wait, was he, he separately going through a watch phase himself? Like yeah. Completely individual. Completely individual. Wow. And I hadn't spoken to him in a few years, which is, a, you know, as you leave school, people grow apart, distances, you know, yada, yada. Uh so I reached out to him just on a whim, and it ended up being absolute perfect timing. And the rest is history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that is a beautiful thing, though. It's it's a lot of great business. It's just you know, right place, right person, right time, and that that's just fascinating. That you know, it just like you both had like you were both going through this watch phase, and you were both just like, oh yeah, let's make a business. Right. So <laughs> yeah. so did, so question: Did you did you wear watches before this? I did. You did. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't like a thing where you 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 know like you've never worn a watch before. You knew kind of like the style. You knew what the feel was and all that. Yeah, it's interesting because I'd never really paid attention a lot to the details of watches mm -hmm. uh, until I got into this. So you know, I just saw a watch I liked, and you know, I'd buy it or I'd have it for a while. And it's amazing the amount of little details that go into making a watch look good that people don't realize. And yeah, once you get deep down into it, it's it's a I, can you give place. can you give us an example? Yes, I agree, hundred yeah. percent. I would love to hear like some of the things we as plebeians don't appreciate. <laughs> sure. So uh, to go over things that you have to think about when you're making a watch. So how big is the case? How how big do you want the bezel to be? That's the space in between, you know, the dial and the outside of the case. Mm -hmm. How big do you want the dial to be? Uh, you know, how how big is the font? How thick is the font? Uh, if you think about the strap, 
right? What type of leather? You have to go around and feel leathers. Do you want oil tan leather? Do you want vegetable tan leather? Uh, how thick is the stitching on the strap? How many stitches per inch? Uh, what's the lining leather like? How many holes are in it? What's the shape of the buckle? How big is the buckle? It's like all these tiny little things. And we're talking about millimeters or fractions of a millimeter for everything. Uh, it's it's a very laborious process, but I love it. Nice, nice. And so I saw that you did like a Kickstarter, right? So so the process, and I mean, that's that's this is the cool thing that we like to talk about uh, with entrepreneurs is that like, how do you get to the point to get like your, so, you know, the product into the hands of the person? Because the, honestly, like you're, the process, the, you having the dream and then putting it on paper and then bringing it to reality. I mean, that's the thing where it's getting shorter and shorter and shorter from going from a dream to reality, right? right. So how, tell us about that process. Like why the Kickstarter? Why did you, you know, go that route? Sure. Uh, so if you think about how do you make a watch, I basically started at the question of how do you make a watch? And I knew about, <laughs> you know, I knew simple about question, as, simple as question, much yeah. as like you guys would know right now about how to make a watch. <laughs> And so I just okay, then this is the part of the reason why it took so long is like, you know, you have to find out what goes into making a watch and mm -hmm. who makes a watch and finding the right suppliers and manufacturers and, and getting samples of things and, and a whole host of things. So that was the longest process. And we ended up going with Kickstarter because we needed to raise a certain amount of money because each manufacturer has a minimum quantity. So, yep. you know, you're making your cases and you're making the movements and you're making the packaging. Everybody has a, a minimum. So... We needed to raise $20,000 to get the minimum amount of watches made. Without that, we basically, our dream was, you know, dead in the water. Just a dream. Just well, a dream. Yeah. Exactly. So just a dream. we thought, you know, Kickstarter is a great platform for getting exposure and for raising money. So we thought, let's, let's give it a try. Nice. And so I did see you were successful. So, so we that were. was good. They were very successful. <laughs> I know my way around Kickstarter. And I, you know, I was like, oh, they did a Kickstarter. Neat. Let's see how well they did. Wow. Way to go, guys. <laughs> so, so what was your total raise? Like, what were you asking for? What you got? So we, we were asking for $20,000. We ended up with $80,321. Nice. A little nice. over 400 Yep. So, so you're, you're a graphic designer and web designer. Is that your, yeah. your background? That was your, okay. So, so tell us about the process. Like, you know, again, watch. Right. I mean, was it um, did you have the audience? Because I know with a lot of people with Kickstarters that sometimes they build up the audience beforehand and launch this Kickstarter knowing mm -hmm. that they're going to start getting you know business. Or was this it hit the Internet? It went to random people that you had no idea who they were. You know, how was that? Yeah, I think it, there was a multi-part process. The first part was keeping it the project quiet until we were right about to launch mm -hmm. because we didn't want people for, you know, 16 months going, Hey, what's going on with the watches? Hey, what's going on with the watches? And sort of being let down that they weren't here. You don't want those, like those like uh, those customers that are just like pains in the ass. Exactly. You, know? yeah. <laughs> you just don't want them. <laughs> so it was like, I want to just be like, bam, we have a watch yep. and people go, what? So, uh, we did that and that worked really well for friends and family. It spread the word really fast. And what helped was that we set up a pre-launch site. So we were like, Hey, we have these watches. Uh, if you sign up for this thing here, you know, you'll join our mailing list. And if you share this unique link that we generate for you, you can earn money off of uh, your future watch purchase. So, oh, nice. you know, if they, you know, share the link with somebody and they get five people to sign up, maybe they get $5 taken off. Right? I forget the exact yep. amounts. So that ended up generating uh, maybe around 1,500 email addresses right before the Kickstarter launched. And then uh, we went around to different watch blogs and were posting different places online just to sort of get a buzz going right before we launched. And we ended up raising the $20,000 in the first 12 hours of our campaign. 
uh, just through. Uh, I would that call that amount. successful. Yeah, but. <laughs> it was a it was a complete shock. You know, it, it went live at eight a.m. and then by eight p.m. I was just dancing around my my apartment. Nice, yeah. nice. No, that's a uh, that's awesome. And from a marketing standpoint, that's brilliant. You know what I mean? It was very. You didn't do anything wildly out there, but you you implemented solid ideas. For the it was perfect ideas for the perfect product, basically. It's pretty impressive, man. I'm sitting over, you know, oh, this, thank you. <laughs> this is my game, and you know, I'm like, you know, game recognized game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the, the watch market, right? So we're talking about how this is becoming a new thing. People are trying to be, um, you know, oh, I got this new watch. You don't have that watch. That kind of stuff. Like, did you did the, did the did you care about the market? Like, did you care about the? Did you were like, oh wow, we're hitting the time right where where you know all these new watch companies are coming, or was it didn't did that not matter? I think it mattered in a sense. Um, I think if watches hadn't been making a comeback, I think the idea of actually going forward with trying to make the watches would have been different. But there's definitely a resurgence in watches, especially with uh, you know smart watches and fitness trackers and things like this. People are getting used to wearing things on the wrist again. It's actually it, it may just be anecdotal uh, from what I've seen is that. I know a lot of people who will end up getting smart watches, like uh, Apple Watch, things like this. And they're and in then, the drawer now. Yeah, <laughs> in the drawer, or they sell them, and they actually buy like classical watches, like mechanical watches, because you know you don't have to charge them every day. And yep. uh, I mean, I literally know uh, probably about ten people that literally have that. Sorry, guys, I'm opening a beer right now. Yeah, he's you know, poking me. He's yeah. poking me from <laughs> my <laughs> bottle because Eric but, uh, knows I have a bottle open <laughs> on me at all times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so the, actually, you know what it is? I think you should go after the military right now because I don't know if you saw their, their, uh, their smartwatches were tracking where, yeah, <laughs> where, where the, where the bases were. So, you know, like, listen, <laughs> time it, time, time your laps with a, a Hawthorne watch yeah. instead of a fucking Fitbit. Seriously. <laughs> that could yeah. be our next ad campaign. Natural security, obviously. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. you should get a government contract. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so I guess the, the question is that do you, I mean, you, you're literally making these, right? Or, or how does that, how okay, does that so work? Okay, so yeah. So what we do is we design and engineer everything, and then we contract out different manufacturers to make different pieces. Uh, there's some stuff that we're you know, a ways away from actually creating, like we'll say a watch movement, the thing that actually powers the watch. And okay, keeps so, the time. so like the actual like mechanics of it? Right. Okay. We're, we're talking like there's only a handful of companies in the world that actually make their own, uh, and they usually sell them out to other uh, businesses like us because it's such a... I don't know, it's such a precise thing and it's it's so hard to get right that they've been doing it forever. So mm-hmm. So it's one of those like those secrets where it's like they uh they talk about like the 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 glass industry, right? Like one company owns them all and they're they're just like shipping them out to everybody else yeah, kind of yeah. thing. So basically all majority of the watches in the world are using certain suppliers, right? Is that right. kind of the yeah, idea? Yeah, exactly. But uh, that kind of raises a question because we don't, you know, we don't get a lot of companies that are necessarily manufacturing something um so how did you go about first finding these companies? Did you just do a Google search like who makes time pieces? You know, who makes this part? Who makes that? Yeah, I would say there was like a month of just like solid Googling, just lots of stuff because it's it's not out there. It's not like there's not – if you don't know exactly where you're looking, it's really hard to find the information. So there was a lot of looking on – obviously Google for that, but it was also a lot of reaching out to other companies, small companies, medium-sized companies and saying, hey, can you at least give me some insight? And I basically cold emailed, I would say, at least 50 or 60 different companies and heard back from two. Uh, and it was it was one in particular that actually helped point me in one direction, which ended up opening all these doors and it, it worked out really, really well. Really? That's, so, that's pretty neat. Yeah. Is, and, it, is, and, it, is it a cutthroat industry where like people don't want to like help each other or? Uh, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say cutthroat, but I will say that some stuff is, 
I don't know, not, I guess sort of secretive because, you know, we invested a decent amount of money in prototyping and getting samples from different manufacturers mm -hmm. to sort of vet who we want to work with. So to just give up that information to the, the next person would just I don't know, be doing us a disservice. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And, I, and I should say, I do want to, to sort of give a shout out to the person that helped uh, because he's a, he's a great guy. His name is Chase. He owns a, a watch company called Oak and Oscar. And they're in a completely different price point than us. Uh, and he makes beautiful watches, and he was very helpful. So just wanted to give him a little shout. So, out. so let's talk about that, like price point, and you know, who is this watch for? You know, like, yeah. like tell, like, who is your avatar? Who is your, your, the person that should be wearing your watch? So when we your initially, <laughs> well, it is, it is like <laughs> they, they talk about it. And, you know, when you're talking about target market, it's like who's the person in your mind that is going to be watching? You know, I know. The, just sometimes you use like I'm over here. I'm the, supposed to be the marketing guy, and you're using like these terms. I'm like, I'm in the startup. I'm in, I'm, I'm in the startup realm. Come on, dude. So initially, when we launched, we had had this this person in mind. It's sort of like a millennial uh, person. It's young. They're either graduating college or they're getting their first job or they're getting their first promotion and they want to celebrate and sort of show uh, that they're successful or they they can finally afford nicer things that'll last right. for a while. So that was sort of our target market going uh, when we launched. Now we're, we're learning that while that, yes, is a, a big chunk of our market, there's also an older generation that's like, okay, you know, these vintage inspired watches remind me of watches I used to have uh, and they're getting in on it now and they're actually purchasing almost like bookending right you got yeah. millennials and boomers yeah it's great <laughs> it's a little freaky like as, again like from marketing perspective our generations as different as they are we have way too much in common it's it a little freaky sometimes yeah. like we hate each other so much <laughs> yeah, yeah. now is it are these only uh watches for men or do you have women's watches i mean like it's funny you funny you should say that so that is by far the number one question we've we've gotten it's like I would say by like a 30 to one margin yep. that is about women's watches. So the current model we have is 40 millimeters, which is a nice size for men. It's a little large for women, but it's not unheard of. And I'd say maybe 30, 35% of our customers are women, but we are going to make a watch for a smaller watch for men with smaller wrists or for women. Um, that'll, you know, satisfy all the questions of, you know, do you make women's watches? And even that market, there's a lot of people that are asking for it and not a lot of companies making watches for women. So I think it's going to be... Really? Fun. I mean, I will have to say is that uh, my fiance has a Michael Kors watch. She doesn't necessarily wear it all the time. It was kind of one of those big gifts, right? Obviously, yeah. not in this price point, I'll probably say. Yeah. But, uh, but that thing's freaking huge. Like, she's yeah. on her wrist and she's it, it's big. So, I mean, is there... Like, is that... Again, it, you're when you think about women's watch, sometimes it's like the skinny one with the little, you know, with little, what is it, the face? Yeah, yeah. No, you say it, the yeah. face or the... You say the face, the dial. Yeah, the yeah. dial, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so again, so that's coming like on, that's kind of like a product in product development or what? Yeah, so it's it's not going to be like drastically smaller than this. I would say like the days of women wearing like really, really tiny watches is gone. Um, I would say women are wearing very similar to men's sizes, but just like a hair smaller. So... This is 40 millimeters. We're probably looking around 35 or 36 millimeters for the next watch. Mm -hmm. So so, uh, so, how many designs do you have? So we have two different styles of watch right now, and they each have five different colorways. Okay. Is so is that bands, basically? Or? Uh, well, no. It, well, yeah. It's different, different bands, but different case colors. So we have stainless steel. We have rose gold. We have black. Then we have faces that are black and white, and it's just a whole host. So we end up having 10 models that you can choose from now. We're working on a second watch, which is a chronograph, which is, you know, one where you can like time things with it. Oh, nice. And Ooh, there you go for those those military runners. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, these the watches we have now are quartz. So it means they're powered by battery. And the next one we're going to 
release, the chronograph, is going to be hand wound. So it's like a really, really vintage. So it's all springs and gears, no batteries. Uh, and you just wind it and it goes, keeps excellent time. And then we're working on the women's watches. So so is that by movement kind of a thing or that's... No, no. Okay. So you... there, there's two types of me- mechanical watches. There's a uh, hand wound, which just have like a, a spring as a power reserve that you have to wind essentially every day or every other day. Uh, and then there's automatic watches, which employ the same idea, except they have a, like a little rotor on the inside that, that spins around when you move and actually winds that spring mm-hmm. for you. So it's the automatic ones are a little more modern. And the hand wound is more of a, a vintage throwback. Classic. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. So what have been like the major challenges for you to get this off the ground? Uh, I think the biggest one is exposure, right? Um, in a, from like a, a marketing world, it's like if the, the internet helps you get your name out there really easily. But if it's easy for you to get your name out there, it's easy for everyone else to get their mm-hmm. name out there. So how do you like stick your head up above the, the riffraff and all that stuff. So I think that's our biggest challenge now. Uh, and we're, we're, we seem to be doing a decent job. Uh, we're getting a lot of sales. and They, out of they are doing so. a decent job. I've so. seen their stuff. They're doing <laughs> a pretty good job. So, so would, you, would you say that the market's saturated? Or, I mean, because it seems as if like there's so many people out there. There's so, like, there, sometimes you get a product where you only have to have a sliver, like a very small like, piece of the market to have a, a, a successful business or even to you know, pay the rent and, and, and keep it going. Like, yeah. So there's, uh, like, we'll take a company called MBMT, for example, which is a really, really big um, company that makes sort of minimalist watches. They exploded on the scene, we'll say, maybe five year, four or five years ago. Um, and since other people saw them making lots of money, they're like, oh, we can make lots of money making minimalist watches too. And they'll reach out to manufacturers in China and things like this and get really cheap watches made because you know there's companies out there that will sell you a watch for like five dollars it's going to be garbage material but it'll look nice for a second and you know they'll try and uh, make a kickstarter for that and it's tough because there's so many of those out there that it's tough to tell what's good and what's not and we're trying our best to be like hey we actually took the time to design engineer and test everything that we're making but we don't want to be lumped in with all of them but but I, I would assume that again from from again the avatar kind of perspective and the, and the who you're going after. I mean, there's a lot of people who are buying. They have the, they have the the drawer. Like I have a cousin who has a drawer of like probably about ten different watches, right? And yeah. so it's one that he picks a different day. You know where he's going. But then that like the watch that you have, it seems like that's like an everyday, right? Yeah. That's an everyday watch. I get it once. I'm not putting. A, I don't have a drawer full of them. Is that the type of watch you have, or is it yeah. again for the? The, uh, the connoisseur, the one that is actually like, I'm going to pick and choose what, what watch I wear and what day. So I would say we're, we're more of an everyday watch. Uh, our watches are made of materials that, you know, the, the glass on here is called, what's technically called a crystal, is, is sapphire. So the only thing that's going to scratch it is diamond, right? It's the next hardest to diamond. So we want to create something really? that, yeah. That's, that's awesome because one of the biggest reasons why I don't wear like watches is because it is straight. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's one that's of the things. Because he's who, dancing, by yeah. the way. It's just, All it's the time. Like, <laughs> about. Yeah, flailing about. Yeah, about. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we wanted to make something that was durable and that, and that was going to last. Uh, so it, it is an everyday watch. And, you know, the design sort of speaks to that. It works well. That You, you can dress up with it. You can dress down with it. It's going to work well with a suit. It's going to work well with a T-shirt. So uh, I think all of our watches sort of strive to be universally worn instead of these, you know, these one-time scenarios. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting that you say that uh, the exposure is actually the, the the kind of the hardest part of what you've gone through is because a lot of people I mean 
the idea of going through like getting the idea and going through the process of reaching out to the manufacturers and prototyping and all that kind of stuff like that seems really daunting to people. I mean, is it just yeah. your 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 background as a designer and kind of that style like who you were before the watch company that you saw that it's just like fun? Yeah, I like I guess I just like to make myself suffer. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's fun one of those too. Where I mean, it, that, that was a really daunting process of finding all the manufacturers and going through that whole thing. But I absolutely loved it because I was learning things while I was doing it. Uh, and I feel like learning an industry, especially something you're passionate about, just keeps you driven to do it. So I didn't mind that at all. It's it's the now that we've got this made, I want to show it to the world and I want to get it on people's wrists. Mm-hmm. Nice, nice. So so again, like one of the things about this podcast is that we want to like talk about you or your business in Connecticut, right? I mean, a lot of people talk about, I mean, the, I was just at a meeting today that they were talking about how like uh, 8% of the people left are probably not the right stat, but that type, uh, amount of people left Connecticut and like our population is declining. People are leaving. It's not a good state for business. I mean, does that even, does that even actually like, like play into your thought process of, of creating this business or was it just who cares where you are? It's a business, you know? Yeah. So, I knew I wanted to set up in Connecticut, being a Connecticut native and sort of giving back to the the economy of Connecticut. But I think us being uh, an online only company right now, it didn't really matter. It doesn't matter that we uh, don't have like a physical presence in yep. Connecticut. I don't think we were like, oh, we just want to sell in Connecticut. So, you know, people leaving Connecticut doesn't really hurt us because we're selling to, you know, I think we've sold to 30 something company or countries now. So... We try and think of us as like our sales as global as opposed to just Connecticut. Yeah. But I, I think the one thing that is really nice is the Connecticut Small Business Development Center, um, which offers, you know, business experts to sort of help you navigate your world or your way through the small business world. So that's something we're working with now because, you know, we're not experts. We're a small business. We're just starting. So we need, we need a little help. So yeah. your experience has been generally neutral to positive working in Connecticut so far? Yeah. I mean, it's only been a year. Um, yeah, you got a lot to learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you right. will learn. I'm sure I will learn. <laughs> I, I, I think five you know. years is like, you know, if you make it five years, you know, that, that's yeah, when you're, you're, that's when you start to get cranky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so how many units have you sold? Uh, so we've sold about 700 units so far. Nice, nice. Um, which is not bad. Hopefully, we'll we'll double not that bad number. At all. We'll double that number this year. Is our goal. Nice, nice. And so, what's your what's your price point? Like, where where are you at in the market? So we have our watches for sale right now for two nineteen, uh, and we then we have two models that are two thirty nine. They're limited editions of thirty a piece or twenty a piece. Excuse me. Um, our next watch, the Chronograph, is going to be a little more expensive because the materials and the movements or things like that are more expensive. Probably uh, a three forty nine or three ninety nine Kickstarter, mm-hmm. and then five hundred retail. Uh, so I'd say we're we're probably going to sit in the you know the two hundred to five seven hundred dollar range for most of them. Mm-hmm. So so um, you just said Kickstarter. Yes. You're you're, you're going to do a Kickstarter with another watch. Yes. Why? Uh, I think Kickstarter is not just a vehicle for sales, but it's a really good vehicle for marketing. So it's not just people that know you or see your marketing that come to to buy from Kickstarter. It's also people that just browse Kickstarter to buy things. And about 20%, 20 or 25% of our sales from our initial Kickstarter came just from people browsing Kickstarter's site looking for things to buy. So I think it's a really good way to uh, get exposure to a, a platform people are comfortable with and comfortable uh, investing money in. Because, you know, if you're a company that's never heard of Hawthorne, do you really want to, you know, pay on our website and hope that we 
in like I've, ne- I've, I've never seen it and everything. Right. Like, yeah. Now you have a track record too, so you you know you're going back to Kickstarter and you say, hey, we already delivered, which is better than about half the companies on Kickstarter. Yeah. I'm still waiting for my RoboCop statue. <laughs> I'm still waiting, guys. I'm like on year seven or eight here. I gave that money a long time ago. And they're, they're sending the updates. It's coming. Yeah. It's yeah. Coming. I've been getting updates on this statue for like. Seven years. Just put the damn statue up. I gave you my twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we're 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 running out of time. But uh, real quick, where can uh, people find you online? Sure, you can go to Hawthorne Watch Co. It's H A W T H O R N with no E, and then C O at the end. HawthorneWatchCo.com, and then every social media dot com slash Hawthorne Watch Co. Nice, nice. And by the way, where where did Hawthorne come from? Uh, Hawthorne. So we wanted to find a way to tie the the watch company back into my grandfather Bernie, uh, and he had a watchmaking bench set up in his basement, and there was a little window uh, in the basement that looked out to the outside, and there's a hawthorn bush out there. So I was like, okay, that's a nice way to tie him in. Wow! Come on! That's, oh, it's deep. That, 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 that is a, that, <laughs> it took a, it took a really long time. That's that, great. That, that really is. That that's really that's is. again, nice. you know, game recognized game. Yep. that's good. <laughs> and so I'd say is that um, if you had any uh, kind of advice to to any kind of other people, kind of in your uh, shoes that had a dream, you know, got up in the middle of the night and and uh, and wrote down a sketch, what what would that be? I'd say go for it. You know, you don't have to go 100% full time right from the start. It took me a while to get started with this, but I would say make some sort of small progress forward every day and see where you end up because if you don't make, if you don't do anything, it's just going to be a dream. Yeah, nice, nice. Very good. Well, Brian, it was very good to uh, catch up with you and uh, good, you know, good luck to to you in your future endeavors. Thank you for listening to CT Startup. More Connecticut startup news, information, and events can be found at ctstartup.com. The weekly episodes of this podcast can be downloaded from iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and ctstartup.com. Finally, we would like to thank both Sublime Exposure Online and Mirtha Kalima for providing resources and space to CT Startup, which make this show possible. See you next week.